Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, a speeding epidemic on Minnesota's roads, the Salvation Army's latest food drive, and a preview of Golden Gopher baseball. But first... The trial of former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin and the killing of George Floyd gets underway on Monday. We spoke with a former U.S. attorney for Minnesota, Tom Heffelfinger, on some of the key things he'll be watching for during the trial. There are um, sort of two big picture items, three big picture items that I'm looking to see the evidence on. Number one is the videotapes, both the citizen observer and the uh, officer warned videotapes. Uh, that should be very telling in this case. Number two, big, big issue is cause of death, which is uh, medical evidence from the medical examiner and uh, other uh, doctors who've been retained. Uh, and then third is uh, whether the use of force by Officer Chauvin was consistent or inconsistent with the approved practices of the Minneapolis Police Department at the time. In terms of the the second thing you mentioned, their cause of death, tell me a little bit about why that's uh, something that you're going to be watching for and why it's significant. There is evidence that the cause of death could have included things that were uh, conditions that Mr. Floyd had that were independent of his having his neck kneeled on. Uh, the, 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 the kneeling on the neck uh, could have caused damage to his brain through pressure on his carotid artery. But at the same time, there's evidence, as I understand it, that there were uh, drugs in his body, uh, in Mr. Floyd's body, as well as him having a, uh, a, story, uh, a, a heart condition that preceded the events of that day. All of those, according to... Dr. Baker's report, as I understand it, he attributed the death to a combination of those three items. In in terms of the actual charges themselves, um, do you think that the prosecution chose the best charges to to put towards Derek Chauvin? Uh, they yes, I do believe they did, and the one that is currently pending before the Minnesota Court of Appeals. Uh, if it's allowed to be reinstated, um, would also be a good charge for that set of facts. Obviously, there are going to be implications for this trial beyond the actual trial itself. Uh, We had lots of unrest in in the aftermath of George Floyd's killing. Um, Tell me a little bit about, if you you could put that in, in, in somewhat of a sociological context for us, what a big trial like this uh, means for the city of Minneapolis, the state of Minnesota, which has already been uh, hurting a little bit from, from the events of last May? Well, this is the most recent in a series of police-involved uh, shootings. Um, and this case, uh, not a shooting, but nevertheless, police caused, at least police conduct contributed to the death, depending on the medical examination testimony. Uh, Obviously, the people of Minnesota are extraordinarily concerned about this behavior by Minneapolis' police officers. 
and uh, the result last spring was uh, a lot of violence. And uh, I know that everybody in Minnesota is conscious of the possibility of a repetition of that. Um, that would be uh, unfortunate for everybody in Minnesota. Thank you for that perspective from former U.S. Attorney for Minnesota, Tom Heffelfinger. Switching gears now, health care, COVID, the U.S. Capitol riots, and George Floyd, all big issues that came up this week, not only in the halls of Congress, but also at the state capitol. MN's Bill Werner filed this report. Scott, what's turned out to be pretty much an annual battle over health care is forming up again this year at the Minnesota Capitol. The Republican-controlled Senate this week passed an extension of so-called reinsurance, meaning the state would continue paying for care for the most seriously ill Minnesotans with the goal of holding down the premiums of everyone else. Roseville Democrat John Marty says health insurance is still unaffordable. We've got a lousy deal here. And our solution is let's give more money to the insurance companies. But no, let's not talk about their high salaries. Republican Majority Leader Paul Gazelka responded reinsurance has stabilized a health insurance market that Obamacare threw into disarray. About to be the very real potential that there would be no health care insurance providers in some of the counties up in northern Minnesota. Zero. Meanwhile, Democrats in the Minnesota House moved forward with a bill that has almost no chance of passing the Republican-controlled Minnesota Senate. It would put the major components of the Affordable Care Act, or Obamacare, into Minnesota law, including that insurers could not deny coverage or increase premiums due to pre-existing medical conditions. Duluth Democrat Jennifer Schultz pointing to pending court challenges. If the ACA is struck down or big components of it are repealed, we need to be ready. But Sartell Republican Tim O'Driscoll says... We are speculating on something that may or may not happen on parts of a law that may or may not be struck down, but we're going to try to enshrine this into state statute right now. Businesses would not have to pay state taxes on forgivable loans they receive from the federal government's COVID Paycheck Protection Program under a bill from Cook Independent Tom Bach that Republicans are fast-tracking in the Minnesota Senate. Majority Leader Paul Gazelka. If Minnesota does nothing, we will be taxing that, and that creates a, a real burden on some of these small businesses that had to struggle through the shutdowns. It's an important part, but you can't just do that all on its own. Says Dilworth Democrat Paul Marquardt, who chairs the House Tax Committee. Workers who lost their jobs need to pay taxes on their unemployment insurance benefits. And we need to look at a way to also forgive those taxes on those UI benefits. But Marquardt's plan would come with a high price tag, over $500 million, one-third of the state's forecast $1.6 billion budget surplus. Senator Bach says the state has a finite amount of money for tax relief, plus has needs in K-12 education, health and human services, transportation, other areas. We cannot put anything into higher ed and just let tuition go up, right? We cannot put any uh, aid in for cities and counties and just let property taxes go up. Why were protesters allowed to attack the U.S. Capitol January 6th? That the overriding question at U.S. Senate hearings this week, chaired by Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar. The commander of the Washington, D.C. National Guard testified he was waiting for approval from higher-ups to send in troops as thousands of Donald Trump supporters stormed the seat of U.S. government. Klobuchar asked Major General William Walker. So you actually put them on the bus so they were ready to go, but you couldn't let the buses go? Yes, Senator, I, I just came to the conclusion that it, that eventually I'm going to get approval, and I didn't want, and I, at that point, seconds mattered, minutes mattered. 
I just <laughs> keep thinking of the hours that went by and uh, the people who were injured and the officers whose lives were changed forever. I thought the delay was unusual. Yes. And, and, and what I wanted to do was take those guardsmen and move them to the Capitol immediately. I just keep imagining the scene. The whole country, the whole world is seeing this on TV. You've got uh, smashed windows. You have uh, insurrectionists going through the police lines. You are on the phone, and they're not immediately approving your request. Is that correct? That is correct, Senator. Backers of former President Trump, including Wisconsin Senator Ron Johnson, contend that according to credible accounts, people pretending to be Trump supporters appeared to be those who provoked the attack on the U.S. Capitol. The U.S. House this week passed a bill named for George Floyd that would ban police chokeholds, change immunity protections for law enforcement, prohibit racial and religious profiling, among other measures. Fifth District Democratic Congresswoman Ilhan Omar. I watched horrified for eight minutes and 46 seconds as George Floyd's life was taken from him another innocent black man murdered by the police in our community. But 7th District Republican Congresswoman Michelle Fishbach says... Disguised as accountability, this bill hinders law enforcement's ability to do their jobs and demonizes an entire profession for the actions of a few. The bill has the support of the Biden administration, but analysts say it still faces a tough time in the Democrat-controlled Senate because it needs at least 10 Republican votes to pass. And as plywood, barricades, and concertina wire went up, and many waited with palpable nervousness for Monday's start of jury selection in the trial of ex-officer Derek Chauvin, Michael Paul with the Minneapolis FBI office told Minnesotans, While I can't discuss specific intelligence assets or investigative methods or means, I can tell you the FBI is leveraging significant resources to ensure the safety and security of everyone involved in the trials. Top officials say law enforcement is continuously monitoring for sources of trouble and is ready to keep the peace while respecting protesters' First Amendment rights. Scott? Thank you, Bill. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives. Who are we? We're your neighbors, co-workers, and friends. That's right, we live and work in the community too. Because of that, we're committed to making sure our electric services stay reliable, affordable, and safe. Throughout the state, Minnesota electric co-ops work independent of each other, but with the same goal, provide power to Minnesota. You have so many other things to worry about. Your electricity isn't one of them. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives, bringing power to the people of Minnesota. Change a light bulb, save some green. Just replace traditional light bulbs with energy-efficient bulbs and fixtures. If you're like most people, 20% of your home electric bills go directly to lighting. Every light we switch to one bearing the government's Energy Star label uses at least two-thirds less energy than older bulbs. Such a light will save more than $30 in energy costs over its lifetime. Brighten your environmental future from the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. Minnesota law enforcement is conducting an extended campaign to keep speedy drivers off the road. I spoke with Mike Hansen with the Office of Traffic Safety about why this important step is necessary. Well, Scott, I think as anybody who has spent any time on any Minnesota road uh, in the last 10 or 12 months uh, will realize, and maybe even predating that a little bit, uh, but speed is out of control, um, and, and we're really seeing that not only in what our law enforcement partners are telling us that they're seeing out there, 
but all, we're also seeing uh, large uh, spikes uh, in our crash data that is all speed attributed. So as you said, yeah, we do. We've got a uh, kind of a longer-term uh, extra enforcement and education and outreach campaign uh, that we, uh, well, we actually started parts of it in January, but we really kind of kicked it off last month. And Mike, when you say uh, we were seeing a bit of a spike, can you can you put that in some more quantifiable terms? What kind of spike are we seeing? Well, there's a couple different ways we can look at this. Um, certainly, you know, 2020, we all know uh, we saw more fatalities in 2020 than we have in the last uh, five years. And so we're going in the wrong direction when it comes. One fatality is too many. The fact that we had almost 400 people killed, that as you've heard me say before, that's just unacceptable. And every one of those crashes and every one of those deaths is preventable. Now, what we're seeing uh, in 2020 is our speed-attributed fatalities uh, were way up. As a matter of fact, at least 118 of the 395 fatalities were directly the result of a speeding driver. And, you know, that that's well beyond the levels that we had seen both in 2019 and on our five-year average, well above that. And so um, that tells us that we have a problem. When we look at overall crash numbers, as we all know, 2020 was a really weird year. COVID changed transportation systems, changed our roadways in ways that we're still uh, coming to grips with. The biggest change was the drop in the volume out there. And so overall crash numbers have reflected that drop in the number of trips and the number of miles being driven. But our fatalities and our serious injuries are going in the opposite direction. So while crash numbers are down, the severity is up. The one thing that drives that severity is speed. Speed equals energy. Energy means injury. Injury causes death. Um, and speed is the one thing that makes every other driver mistake or every other bad decision even worse. Uh, a speeding vehicle, you give up, you know, to use a, a hockey analogy, you give up time and space. You have no time to react, and you have very little space to react in. And when you give those up, the consequences can and quite often are tragic. Mike, obviously these messages of, of slowing down and putting away distractions, etc., are, are messages that drivers receive several times each year. And, you know, unfortunately... Uh, People have the option to pay attention or not pay attention, but I wanted to give you this opportunity since we have folks listening uh, to the show right now. If you have a message for drivers out there directly to them, what is your message? My message to them right now is if you're speeding, expect to get stopped. Uh, we're putting uh, well over a million dollars into extra enforcement, and we're putting a significant amount of, of resource into our public education and outreach campaign. We can't enforce our way out of this. We can't write enough tickets fast enough to, to change everybody's behavior. Uh, but those who continue to violate the law are going to uh, look forward to having conversations with law enforcement at roadside. But really, we can all be part of this solution if we all just make the commitment to drive smart and to make good, safe decisions behind the wheel. It's a roadway and it's a highway. It's not a raceway. Thank you to my guest, Mike Hansen, with the Office of Traffic Safety. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back.
back to Minnesota Matters. The Salvation Army has launched a two million pound food drive in the Twin Cities. Tasha Radel has more. The stated goal of collecting two million pounds of non-perishable food would represent the largest single food drive ever held in the Twin Cities. The collections are for families being impacted by COVID-19 effects. While this particular food drive concentrates on the Twin Cities Metro, other Salvation Army chapters around the state continue collecting food and donations as they too see record demand from families. Joining me today is Angel Fields Mitchell, Director of Marketing for the Salvation Army. Welcome, Angel. Let's start out by you kind of giving us some background on what led to this latest initiative. Absolutely. So we are extremely excited to be launching what we believe will be the largest food drive ever in the Twin Cities with the goal of raising 2 million pounds of non-perishable food items. The drive will take place March 1 through the 27th, with drop-off locations being at Maury's Auto Dealer, or Auto Group, I think they're called, um, at Spire Credit Union, and Cub locations throughout the Twin Cities, so over 100 drop-off locations throughout the Twin Cities. And what really brought this on is the fact that the need is greater than it has ever been before. Uh, it is not surprising that we are experiencing upwards of a 900% increase in need of food at some of our locations here in the Twin Cities. Uh, people who have never used food drives or food shelves before are coming to us for assistance. Uh, and we want to be able to continue to serve the community. And the reality is that it literally takes all of us to meet the needs of the community, which is why we are forming the It Takes an Army food drive this year. I know food shelf use has remained high for the past few years, uh, basically, I should say several years uh, after the Great Recession and even before this COVID-19 pandemic. I'm guessing we are anticipating food shelf demand to remain high well into the future. That is a correct statement. I think we will continue to see a record number uh, throughout this year. I believe the statistic that I read recently is that one in four workers here in Minnesota are laid off or furloughed still through the pandemic. And we believe that the need in food uh, will be the greatest need along with shelter uh, throughout 2021 and maybe even 22. Angel, I know this particular food drive focuses on the Twin Cities, which is the most populated area of the state. But are we also seeing food insecurities across other parts of the state where the Salvation Army serves? Absolutely. Throughout Minnesota and North Dakota, which is the areas that the Salvation Army Northern Division serves, we are we're seeing a 155% increase across the board. So the need for food uh, is, is everywhere. Uh, this food drive will be focused on the Twin Cities. Uh, but it certainly has the power to impact people throughout the state. For folks that are able to make it into a drop-off location, are there other ways to give to the Salvation Army, perhaps a cash donation? Absolutely. Thank you for asking. So we have launched a website to the number two, millionpounds.org, and that is a location where people can go and not only learn more information about where drop-off locations are at, 
but they can also make a financial donation. Uh, one, one piece of information for me to share is that a $150 donation provides about 90 pounds of food. And so you t anyone would be able to, to contribute from that perspective. Thanks again to my guest, Angel Fields Mitchell, Director of Marketing for the Salvation Army. For a list of suggested food items to start your own food drive, to volunteer, to make a financial gift, or for more information, visit 2, that is the numeral 2, millionpounds.org. That's 2, the numeral, millionpounds.org. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. We'll be back with more Minnesota Matters after this. Unexpected reactions to smart financial decisions brought to you by FeedThePig.org. Well, I finally did it. I opened a 401k. So you're giving up. Just like that. Giving up on what? I'm getting an inheritance from a distant relative. Don't you think if there were a billionaire in the family, we'd know about it by now? Listen to me. We are one phone call away from riding horses on our own private polo grounds. One call from christening yachts, having a butler, using summer as a verb. How do you figure? Look, everyone's got a rich uncle somewhere. It's statistics. So the best thing you can do is just prepare for the inevitable. Right, which is why I thought maybe it would be smart to take control of my finances. You know, start using a budget, get out of debt, set some retirement goals. Budgets? Debt? You watch your mouth. Retirement shouldn't be a goal for us. It should be a way of life. When it comes to financial stability, don't get left behind. Get tools and tips for saving at feedthepig.org. This message brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The University of Minnesota baseball team opens its 2021 season this weekend with a series of Big Ten games at U.S. Bank Stadium in Minneapolis over the next two weekends. This year is the 40th season as head coach for the legendary John Anderson, who is the winningest coach in Big Ten history. MN Sports Director Mike Grimm spoke with Golden Gopher preseason All-American baseball player Zach Robbie of Forest Lake, whose father, Brian, played for both the Gophers and Twins. The younger Robbie is pumped up for the season to get underway. Yeah, absolutely. We got the schedule, I mean, we were all pumped. I mean, having the season canceled early was uh, obviously heartbreaking for all of us, so just getting back in... Uh, Hanging out with the guys and being able to play baseball again is awesome. Give us a little scouting report. How do the Golden Gophers look as you're getting ready a little uh, more than a week from the start of the season? Yeah, it's uh, very tough to, to figure out just because we're always indoors. Um, we actually scrimmaged at U.S. Bank this past weekend, and, and the guys look pretty good. Uh, the pitchers looked well. The hitters looked uh, in midseason form, in my opinion. So I think that uh, the Gophers are looking really well this, uh, this start of the season. Uh, what is it like playing at the Vikings Stadium? I know you've had a chance to play. I've actually gone and watched a few games there. Um, it, it, it's an interesting uh, atmosphere, but the good news is you're playing baseball. Whether uh, whether you're uh, you know uh, it, it, when you're in Minnesota, you have to figure out ways to play. Yeah, it's absolutely beautiful. I mean, if you haven't been there, um, going to U.S. Bank is definitely a once once lifetime experience. I mean, I've watched a couple of Vikings games there, and it, it's actually absolutely beautiful. But being able to play a baseball game in in Minnesota when there's snow on the ground outside is is truly a blessing and. And to have that available to us is a, is a true advantage. I kind of like, too, um, for baseball that the, the roof is that transparent look. So you get some sunshine, too. It's not like, like the old Metrodome was fine, obviously, and you're obviously very familiar. I'm sure you've watched many games at the old Metrodome. But, you know, you kind of had that, uh, you know, sterile ceiling and that sterile feel. It, there is something about having the sunshine in when it's out uh, and playing baseball, even if you're indoors. Yeah, absolutely. And being actually having sunglasses on indoors kind of feels weird at, at some moments, just kind of like what, what's going on here. But, uh, yeah, it's absolutely beautiful. 
Yeah, and certainly an advantage for the Gophers now to be able to uh, to get going and, and not have to travel, uh, you know, much uh, here in the spring. I want to talk to you too a little bit about your background. Obviously, uh, your dad Brian was a former Gopher, uh, played in the big leagues, had a great minor league career. Uh, he's been a great coach now, uh, both at Forest Lake High School and then on to Bethel. Um, won some conference titles there. What what what's it what was it like growing up with uh, with a dad who was a, a baseball uh, certainly a local legend anyway? And how much impact did that have on on your your uh, development? Yeah, he had a huge development uh, impact on my development growing up. I mean, having him in, in my house was a true advantage. I mean, obviously we butt heads sometimes because you know I was a little kid thinking I knew everything, and obviously I didn't, and he knew it all. So it was kind of tough at some moments, but. We got through. We have a great relationship, and uh, it's a true blessing to have him being able to coach me. And, and he made me the player I am today. Absolutely. How many batting practice pitches do you suppose over the course of his life he's thrown to you? Oh my goodness, I, I don't even know if I could count that high. Honestly, <laughs> got to figure a million, right? I mean, oh, it's got to be. I mean, over the years, he's throwing to Matt, he's throwing to me, he's throwing to all my buddies. He was coaching me when I was growing up. Always throwing BP. I, I can't even imagine how many times he's thrown a ball. <laughs> What what has it been like playing as a gopher, knowing that you know your dad was so good? Is there some pressure uh, with that, or did you are you able to kind of step out of that shadow and create your own identity? Uh, I mean, it, there's pressure with everything. It's pressure with, is what you make of it. My dad talks about it to me all the time. Um, it was more of an exciting thing for me. Um, John Anderson is a, a great component in that. He always said like, "Hey, we recruited you because we wanted you here, not because of your dad." Um, my dad talked to me about it all the time, so. They were really helpful with me in that aspect to kind of put pressure away from me. But um, like I said, pressure is what you make of it. Um, I just wanted to get the opportunity to play here and, and put on that uniform since I was a little kid. So it's just truly a blessing to be here. Yeah, you've known John Anderson a while now, as, as you guys all like to call him, 14. His 40th year starting this year. How much do you guys have motivation to make year number 40 special for number 14? Oh, I mean, every year we get every chance we get to have have a practice or just talk with him is is honestly a, a blessing. I mean, he's he's a real legend. He's a living legend, and um, yeah, I mean, we want to make everything the best for him. And I mean, we uh, we've been working really hard for him, and we wanna we wanna bring some more wins under his belt. He's uh, won more games than anybody in the history of the Big Ten, of course, uh, in baseball. More championships and more games. Do you have a good John Anderson story you can share with us? Oh, uh, actually, I do. I have a good one uh, of me and him in Seattle. So uh, we were <laughs> we were playing in Seattle, and I was struggling. It was my freshman year. Uh, I want to say I even put a ball in play the whole time I was there, and I came back to the dugout after one of my strikeouts, and I think I struck out twice looking in that game. And he goes, "Do you think that ball was in?" And I said, "Yeah, I thought it was in." He says, "Well, if you want to go to umpiring school, then go to umpiring school, but you have the bat in hand, so swing it." <laughs> it's one of the whole team. And, yeah, I mean, everyone kind of like opened their eyes, like, "Holy cow!" Uh, he's kind of ripping into him, but uh, yeah, it was a good experience for me. He, uh, I deserved it. Actually, after that, uh, it kind of woke me up a little bit. Um, started to realize that I need to trust myself a little bit more. Uh, but, yeah, it was a, gr- a great story, a great uh, great experience with him. That's a great line, too. That's a beauty. That's uh, yeah, yeah. I wonder, You have to ask your dad if he ever pulled that out on, on one of uh, one of the teammates back then or if that was new for you, I wonder. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we don't know. <laughs> well, that's very good. Well, hey, man, really exciting. Good to see you, and best of luck. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. That's Mike Grimm and Gopher Jr. second baseman Zach Robbie of Forest Lake. The Gophers play eight games at the Viking Stadium before beginning the outdoor portion of the schedule at Northwestern on March 19th. Minnesota is scheduled to host its first outdoor home game on April 2nd against Michigan State at the on-campus Siebert Field. That is going to do it for us for this week. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.